0: Major funding for telehel is provided by Dave's Archives. If you're looking for retro commercials from the 50s all the way up to the 90s and possibly some points beyond in the future, turn to Dave's Archives, also home to the TGIF live stream on Friday nights. Go to davesarchives.com by Retro Cirque on YouTube. Home to the off-duty mind players and all those off-air commercials that he likes to put up so much from the 80s and 90s. Go to YouTube and type in Retro Cirque, spelt with a Q at the end. And by the continuing financial support of our patrons at patreon.com slash telehealthpodcast, including Mr. Cheeseball, Rhonda Farrell, Rick Colacki Jr., Chris Michaud, Meredith Morrissey, Justin Moses, Rabbite, Spare Parts, and Neil Weinstein. Thank you. The following program is not being endorsed by Pepsi, nor is this an endorsement of Pepsi-Cola Products Incorporated. Nor does this have anything to do with their 125th anniversary, it just so happens to be a happy coincidence. But I digress. Hello, ladies and gentle demons. If you're wondering about the technological psycho in the background, it's because we're currently analyzing the results of the Telehell listener survey we put out last month. Coming up in future weeks, we're gonna go over the results of the survey and we will try, emphasis on try, to tweak up the show here and there with the suggestions that you gave us. But before we get to that, as we're dropping this show, it's Labor Day weekend, AKA the last gasp of summer before the chill of the fall and the icy death grip of winter rears its ugly head. And that got us to thinking. Among many activities people do this time of year, what is something that people do a lot of during the summer? Barbecues? Certainly. Go on road trips? Sure, if you can afford them. Go to the movies? Maybe if you're fans of Barbie and Oppenheimer and very little else it seems. One thing's for sure though, no matter what situation you find yourself in during the summer, Perhaps the most common thing to do is to stay cool in general. And while it's tempting to waste precious money and energy on air conditioners, there's certainly a more cost efficient way to do that. Normally, I'd recommend drinking lots of beer. But since alcohol is highly flammable down here, the next best way to cool off during the summer is by knocking back an ice cold soda. Or pop, depending on what part of the world you're from. And just as soda does what it does to refresh and quench your thirst, there have been many ways to get people to drink their respective brands over the years. Feeling
1: seven up, I'm feeling seven up. We got the juice. The way it should be I'd like to see Thank you. The whole world Smiling with me do the life Have a clap oh, and Thanks, night. me and Joe Smile
0: Which brings us to the reason why we're here today. As many of you know, we have a Patreon where we pump out mini-shows involving the more minutiae side of television, whether it be TV commercials, infomercials, or gimmicks gone wrong. We've had this Patreon going for about two years now, and in that time, perhaps, The most common thing we've ranted on was that of a couple of marketing failures that one particular brand of soda has unleashed on us in the 125 years they've been in business. it's the unofficial end of summer, and since we're looking for ways to kill time until we return in November, and since one of the takers of our listener survey says that we should bring more of these mini-shows out from behind the paywall, we're going to take care of all three of those wants and needs by presenting to you the times when we took the fizz out of just some of Pepsi's best laid plans. You're about to hear four stories of how Pepsi's marketing department may have consumed one too many bottles of Coca-Cola to come up with their ideas. And they will be presented in chronological order of air date in a collection that we're calling The Pepsi Saga. This first tale originally aired on October 1st, 2021, and chronicles the tales of a certain pop star trying to tie in her newest music video to our soon to be favorite soda. Telehell presents
1: <laughs> premium content of the damned.
0: If we're going to relaunch this segment, the very least we can do is not only hit on an easy target, but one that, rightfully, pissed off a lot of people when it first happened over 30 years ago. With that said, one of the more superfluous events to take place during the 1980s and part of the 1990s was when America's soda manufacturers seemingly went to war with each other. While there were many brands to choose from, the two major players were the Coca-Cola Company and PepsiCo. Born only two years apart, both companies have waged a war on consumers' thirst for well over 100 years. And to this day, the fight wages on, though not as fiercely as the rivalry was back in the 1980s, especially when Coke infamously changed its formula and Pepsi became the choice for a new generation. It seemed as though for a period of time, Pepsi would overtake the lead in terms of sales, marketability, and overall popularity, and continued to do so into the 90s. Pepsi did this largely by recruiting the top pop stars of the day in an effort to have the top pop in soda. Most famously, the likes of Lionel Richie, Tina Turner, and of course, this guy
1: Pepsi presents Michael Jackson.
0: Of course, Coke was not to be deterred thanks to their equally sizable roster, including Sting, Whitney Houston, Cyndi Lauper, and George Michael, which is all the reason I need to play this clip. Look at my butt!
1: Excuse me, It's a force to be reckoned with. Accept it before it destroys you.
0: But in sizing up both soda companies' talent rosters, that left Pepsi short a superstar. Who do they get to even things out? One of those ways that Pepsi thought they could jump far into the lead of the Cola Wars was when, in 1989, Pepsi thought the next generation of soda sales would be ushered in by this human controversy lightning rod. Madonna? Oh, yeah, she's pretty stupid. That's something we can all agree on, right? Right? Absolutely. Yeah, Francis? Oh, major idiots. If Michael Jackson was the king of pop back in the 1980s, Madonna was certainly one of its queens or at the very least, a rebellious princess who would do anything to get attention, no matter how provocative it would be. Nevertheless, the young Miss Chacone pretty much had the world on a string for most of the 80s and 90s thanks to her music, her slightly questionable movies, and the various ways she would try to grab a captive audience. So much so that shortly after the turn of the new year of 1989, Pepsi spared no expense to secure the services of the Material Girl in an effort to topple Coca-Cola while they were still licking their wounds from their new Coke fiasco. An estimated one-year, $5 million contract was used to hire the star of the college film A Certain Sacrifice to be Pepsi's voice of the next generation. And America's Kabbalah enthusiasts would agree to the deal on one condition, that in exchange for promoting the soda, she would then use that commercial to promote not only her upcoming concert tour, but also the world premiere of a music video that would air on a certain cable channel that was once devoted to playing music on television. But I'm kind of blanking on the name of it. Oh, yeah them. Needless to say, both sides came to an agreement, and the world's favorite fake British lady quickly became the pride of Purchase New York. Of course, that's how things looked on the surface. What Pepsi didn't know, and certainly should have done their research on, was exactly who it was they were about to invest into. Yes, the future star of Swept Away was one of the biggest stars in the world at that point in her career, but here is a partial list of things that she wound up doing just to achieve that status, aside from releasing music and mediocre movies. Things like pissing off conservatives over the implied message behind Like a Virgin, writhing around in a wedding dress while singing the song of the same name at the first ever VMAs, KISSING OFF CONSERVATIVES OVER THE IMPLIED MESSAGE OF THE SONG PAPA DON'T PREACH, HAVING EARLY COLLEGE YEAR ARTHOUSE NUDES BEING PUBLISHED IN SKIN MAGAZINES, MARRYING SEAN PENN, MAKING A TERRIBLE MOVIE WITH SEAN PENN, DIVORCING SEAN PENN, ALL WITHIN A FIVE YEAR PERIOD, BUT STILL WELL WITHIN THE MEANS TO SELL CARBONATED SOFT DRINKS FOR THE RIGHT PRICE. BUT BY THEN, THE INK HAD DRIED ON THE CONTRACT, AND THERE WASN'T ANY TURNING BACK. The first point of no return happened when during the night of the 1989 grammy awards and for the week leading up to the big reveal a teaser for what would eventually be pepsi's two-minute commercial promoting both themselves and the future hijacker of don McLean's best work a move which by the way had seldom been done in advertising before but nowadays seems pretty common a commercial for a commercial no matter where you are in the world on
1: march 2nd get to a tv and watch pepsi's two minute madonna commercial featuring her latest
0: release like a prayer for the very first time That commercial would air during the night of March 2nd, 1989. Ironically, during the airing of a TV show whose own fallen star did commercials for Pepsi's rival. Attention Pepsi drinkers, introducing the new taste of Coca-Cola, the best Coca-Cola ever. That's all I'm going to say. In fact, that's all I have to say. But I strongly digress. The spot starts innocently enough, with the future Ava Perone watching footage of her eight-year-old self having a birthday set to the tune of her future chart-topper, Like a Prayer. Through a series of transitions, we then see adult Madonna and her eight-year-old counterpart switch places. Now, Madge is on the projected screen while the kid watches. Nothing controversial yet. We then get to see some pretty standard late 80s choreography with a Pepsi logo prominently displayed all over the place, while Madge does her thing. And her eight-year-old self takes a look around in wonder at the soundstage that passes for her house slash future. Nothing yet that would raise red flags. We then see the future star of A League of Their Own reliving her Catholic school days as she does a couple of dance moves among the school children, who, given that it's a Catholic school, would probably be facing the wrath of a nun's ruler if they followed suit. But again, nothing bad is happening. The commercial reaches its crescendo as Breathless Mahoney continues to dance alongside various backup crowds and even a gospel choir ultimately ending with eight-year-old Lady Gaga Sr. getting transported back to her black and white world, while adult Madonna smiles approvingly at her while giving the little girl a simple request.
1: Go ahead. Make
0: a wish. And that's it? That's the thing that caused a lot of trouble for everybody? I mean, this is commercials of the damned. And quite honestly, the most damning thing about this may be creating a time paradox by having eight-year-old Susan being desperately seeked take a look into her potential future and not being able to touch anything. So say it, the butterfly effect. So what gives? Sorry to throw a curveball, folks, but this is going to be one of those rare times and hopefully the only time when the commercial itself is not what caused the problem, but rather the aftermath from it. As we mentioned, the actual purpose of the Pepsi commercial was to help promote Madonna's new album and the title track from that album, two minutes of which we actually got to hear in the Pepsi commercial. But that wasn't the entire song, nor is it the reason why people remember it. One day, after an estimated worldwide audience of 250 million people in over 40 countries around the world saw the Pepsi commercial, the actual Like a Prayer music video debuted on MTV. Think of it this way. Remember the episode of The Simpsons where Mr. Burns creates a giant fishing net out of six-pack soda rings to drag all aquatic life into a factory that ultimately turns them into fish goo? That's pretty much what's about to happen here minus the eco-terrorism and animal emulsification. Chances are, a good chunk of that 250 million worldwide audience was about to see Madonna do what she does best shock the shit out of people. You don't see a
1: half-clad woman dancing in front of burning crosses all that often on television. Madonna and director Mary Lambert had another plan. They wanted to create a separate music video for the song, incorporating a number of religious elements with the story of a crime. The end result was a video, Last Temptation of Madonna, that shocked Pepsi executives and MTV viewers. Nobody could really have expected her to make a video that looked like this, that uses the, you know, a lot of loaded symbolism. They were having meetings in the middle of the night. Now what is our strategy? Are we going to pull our ad? Are we going to disassociate ourselves with Madonna? are we gonna
0: do all of this was good for oceans of media ink but then it just might be part of a marketing plan to ensure another platinum record for the former mrs. Sean Penn it certainly is gonna jolt people or at the very least shock the thin skin the rest of the world ate it up and moved on with their lives We're not going to do a full play-by-play of the video because, hell knows, many people have over the past 30-plus years, and quite honestly, the song by itself does stand the test of time. But for those who don't remember the video, it's worth pointing out that before she got all spiritually curious with other religions, Madonna was born and raised Catholic, which is evident by the imagery that we see starting off this video. The Burning of a Cross! Yeah, when you're Madonna, especially late 80s, early 90s Madonna, you take no prisoners within the first minute or you fail to get their attention. And that's just for starters. For the next five minutes, we're treated to images of murder, stigmata, crucifixion, sex with people dressed either as Jesus or a facsimile of him, and other pearl clutching, monocle popping, think of the childrening images that drew ire from, among others, the American Family Association, the Catholic Church, and BBDO, the ad firm that was hired by Pepsi. Oh, and also Pepsi, who is now facing pressure from the aforementioned American Family Association to pull the original commercial over fear of boycotting any and all Pepsi-related products, even though it wasn't the commercial that had the rough imaging. However, both the commercial, the song, and the music video were now unmistakably intertwined with each other, and something had to give. So where does Madonna's involvement with Pepsi wind up causing a commotion in Telehel? We live to tell that part of the story as we open our heart to the nine circles. Limbo, lust, lust, gluttony, greed, wrath, heresy, heresy, violence, fraud, treachery. As the old saying goes, bad publicity is good publicity. And this was probably one of the best examples of that. Yes, all those who complained were right to express their wrath but it ultimately blew up in their faces, as Like a Prayer not only became one of the most successful albums of all time, but it only cemented Madonna's status as a take-no-prisoners diva. To add insult to injury, even though Pepsi ultimately severed ties with her, they decided to let her keep the $5 million payday that she got in the first place. And while it's unknown whether or not the one-time-only commercial actually helped make a dent in their 1989 sales or not, the fact that Madonna may have wound up benefiting more from the experience than Pepsi did might have been enough for them to wonder if that $5 million payday would have been better spent on something else, like, say, a bigger market share versus Coke. Greed can make you do risky things sometimes, even if that risk wound up resulting in a music video that featured images that, even for 1989, were considered a little too violent, lustful, and downright blasphemous to certain audiences to declare it as heresy to the holy word. All just to associate with a soft drink. The Pepsi Like a Prayer commercial earns five out of nine circles of telehealth. And thankfully, Pepsi would never have any problems with its advertising ever again. Now, the more Pepsi you drink, the more great stuff you're going to get.
1: Sure beats the bus.
0: Our next story in the Pepsi saga is one that we've technically put up for free previously. However, an eagle-eared listener has pointed out to me that I left a minor editing mistake in the show. So, if nothing else, removing that mistake will technically make this episode... ...remastered, quote-unquote. Rewind with us now to November 26th, 2021, when some doofus thought he could buy a Harrier jet thanks to Pepsi. When you're a brand trying to establish itself, sometimes you'll do whatever it takes to get yourself out there in the midst of some already fierce competition. Same thing goes for if you're a brand that's already been established. You come up with new and better ways to let the public know that you still exist. Some brands do this through certain modifications, like, for instance, changing the recipe on a soft drink or adding an accessory to a sneaker, just to name a few examples. But the rest of the time, people try to win over consumers by offering something extra that not only goes along with the product, but does everything in its power to make sure that you are permanently entwined to the main product. More often than not, this is done through a process called brand loyalty, a marketing term that describes a consumer's positive feelings towards a brand and their dedication to purchasing the brand's products or services repeatedly, regardless of deficiencies, a competitor's actions, or changes in the environment. If you want a dumbed-down version of it, think of some of your favorite products out there and ask yourself if they have any kind of reward program attached to it in an effort for you to keep buying the main item. If you wouldn't feel quite
1: right about spending $47.98 for a blender, don't. Get it with S&H Green Stamps. Get this Oster Classic.
0: Attaching rewards to existing products are nothing new. There have probably been earlier examples predating 1896, but one of the first ones that benefited from a television audience was that of S&H green stamps, a form of coupon you would get when purchasing various goods and services and would then be used to redeem for future goods and services at a green stamp redemption center. To put it in more modern terms, think of them as the Rakuten or swag bucks of its time. Fast forward a few decades, and while green stamps rode off into the sunset, different products would come up with their own reward programs in an effort for the consumer to obtain free stuff if they purchased enough of the base product in question first. And while these kinds of programs ramped up in the 90s, one choice for many generations led the way first.
1: Come alive, come alive, you're in the Pepsi generation
0: if Coca Cola is the Hertz Renicar of soft drinks, Pepsi can be considered the Avis. They try harder at trying to get the average consumer's dollar to be spent on carbonated sugar water. And while both soda companies went neck and neck against each other for soda supremacy for most of their existence, it was the mid 1990s where we would see one of the truest tests for who would come out on top.
1: The International Olympic Committee has awarded the 1996 Olympic Games to the city of Atlanta.
0: A few years earlier in 1990, it was announced that the 1996 Olympic Games will be taking place in Atlanta, Georgia, a city that was not only constantly on the grow, but was also home to, among other companies, Coca-Cola. Having both the games and an instant marketing machine take place in a city full of things that were instantly marketable only meant one thing for its competition a whole lot of So what was Pepsi to do when they realized that their 1996 may wind up seeing more red ink than an average Coca-Cola logo? When all else fails, bribe your audience. Which they essentially did when they created Pepsi Stuff. Simply put, You drink Pepsi, and you collect the points, which were, at the time, printed on the label of various Pepsi bottles, cans, and boxes. Use those points to get various Pepsi merchandise, lather, rinse, repeat, and very much in the tradition of S N H green stamps. On the surface, it seemed like just another cut and dry brand affinity campaign. One that, according to the New York Times, Pepsi sunk 125 million dollars into merchandising and another 200 million dollars into the advertising. The fruits of that labor, beginning in the winter of 1996, leading up to the campaign's formal launch later that spring. Since this is another one of those commercials that are largely narrative-free, allow us to do a play-by-play. We open up on a house in suburbia shortly before 8am. A young man is seen waking up and wearing a Pepsi branded t-shirt with a caption that its Pepsi stuff value was 90 points. Next, we see the man put on a Pepsi leather jacket, valued at 1400 points. Based on the price tag, I hope this kid takes a lot of gas acts. Next, the kid puts on a pair of Pepsi-branded sunglasses, valued at 125 points. And then the announcer tells us what this is all about. Introducing the new Pepsi Stuff catalog. Just as a mysterious object whooshes through the sky. The object? Nothing more than your typical, common, carrier-fighter jet that takes the kid to school. Now, the more Pepsi you drink, the more great stuff you're going to get. sure beats the bus. Alleged value of the jet? 7 million points. And the notion that the kid may very well have contracted a serious case of diabetes and kidney stones from drinking that much soda in the first place. To the average TV viewer, that was certainly a way to get one's attention. To a business school student named John Leonard, however, he wanted Pepsi to put its money, its points, and its rewards where its mouth was. And from here, We're going to let this 1996 piece from CBS News tell the rest of the story. It was an eye-catching ad for Pepsi
1: Cola, and it caught John Leonard's eye. Collect points from Pepsi labels and claim prizes like T-shirts and sunglasses, or, for 7 million
0: points, a Harrier jet. Sure beats the bus. (laughs) People say, well, didn't you want a T-shirt? I said, well, when there's a harrier out there for seven million Pepsi points, why not aim your sets or aim your sights a little higher? Leonard, a 21-year-old business student,
1: noticed some fine print. In place of labels, consumers could buy Pepsi points
0: for 10 cents each. Now I did the quick math. I go, you know, seven million, you know, 10 cents a piece, 700 thousand dollars. Leonard got the 700 thousand dollars from five well-off investors. And let's pause right there. Too often, we forget that the 90s was probably the last decade with balls in it. And this kid certainly had a big brass pair of them for being a business student who could just casually ask venture capitalists for a six-figure sum just to show up a soda company. But go on. Leonard sent Pepsi 15 labels and a check and waited for his jet. Pepsi's response, the ad was just a joke.
1: Tens of millions of Americans and people around the world saw the spot, got the joke and laughed. Mr. Leonard saw the spot, hired business advisors and lawyers, and decided to take legal action.
0: So now, let's talk about the resulting lawsuit that came just because a Harrier jet was being advertised with little to no fine print. What would become the case of Leonard V. Pepsico was known as a contracts case, which alleged that Leonard clearly wanted something that was being advertised in such a way that there was a possibility that the advertised item was indeed up for sale, even though there was clearly no fine print involved that stated it to be otherwise. Think of it as the real-life equivalent to Bart Simpson winning and subsequently not, but ultimately getting, his own elephant.
1: They're playing the elephant song.
0: I love that. Reminds me of elephants. Only with more litigation. Litigation that ultimately resulted in Leonard losing his case in 1999, on the grounds that the commercial was, quote, evidently done in jest, and that, quote, the notion of traveling to school in a Harrier jet is an exaggerated adolescent fantasy. But the key takeaways from the case were the following. Number one. It was found that the advertisement featuring the Jet did not constitute an offer under the Restatement Second of Contracts, which is a whole nother can of legal worms that you may want to listen to a law themed show about, but in short, the fact that the Jet wasn't put in Pepsi Stuff's official catalog in the first place might have played a factor there. Number 2. The court found that even if the advertisement had been an offer, no reasonable person could have believed that the company seriously intended to purchase a multi-million dollar fighter jet, new or used, and especially for the price tag of $700,000. And number three, the value of the alleged contract meant that it fell under the provisions of the statute of frauds, but the statute's requirement for written agreement between the parties was not fulfilled, so a contract had not been formed. The court also made several observations regarding the nature and content of the commercial, as well as the real-world logistics of such a thing happening in the first place, including the notions that teenagers can't fly jets, and even if they had all the training in the world to do so, they would probably not be able to use one anyway since they're primarily designed for military usage, not for civilians and that certain features had to be removed from the jet in order for it to be used for civilian use. To say nothing of the price tag that Harrier Jets would have anyway, as of 1996, the most basic model would go for about $34 million, a far cry from the $700,000 that Mr. Leonard would pony up. But Pepsi thought ahead for that too. In light of the pending lawsuit, PepsiCo would alter their commercial slightly so that the price of the jet would now cost the typical Pepsi drinker 700 million points, or about 70 million dollars in Pepsi points, or enough to buy two Harriers. But just to be sure nobody would fall for this trick again, the ad wizards at Pepsi also made sure to include a just kidding underneath the price tag in parentheses, something that Pepsi should have done in the first place so that all this frivolity would never happen. In spite of the loss, it was really more of a wash, since Pepsi never cashed in Mr. Leonard's money, and therefore, Leonard didn't have to lose money over it either. Money that I hope was returned to the investors who wanted to take part in this for some stupid reason. So, where does the tale of Pepsi and their falsely advertised Harrier Jet find itself on the runway of Telehell? This is your captain speaking. We are now making our final descent into our nine circles. Roger. Limbo, lust, gluttony, greed, wrath, heresy, violence, fraud, treachery. This is one of those cases, both here and in the actual courts, where even though a ruling was made specifically towards one particular side, it still felt like an even playing field, let alone a hollow victory for some. Leonard alleging fraud towards Pepsi with the ad's false promises, and Pepsi trying to defend themselves by stating that Leonard may have acted just a tad greedy towards the alleged jet offer but in spite of the lawsuit, this didn't really harm or hinder Pepsi in any way. In fact, two good things actually came from this incident. When the time came for the Pepsi Stuff promotion to fully roll out during the Summer Olympics in Coca-Cola's stomping grounds, sales for Pepsi actually surpassed Coke that summer. On top of that, the case of Leonard V. PepsiCo would wind up in legal textbooks for years to come, just in case another law student was foolish enough to try something similar ever again. The Pepsi Stuff Harrier Jet lawsuit earns two out of nine circles of telehell. Hey, we didn't say we have to ring every single bell, but we only need at least one of them to count. Pepsi Stuff would see a number of revivals over the years, and each one of them pretty much had the same outcome. Buy enough of the product in question, and be able to align yourself with that product with supplemental merchandise. A ploy that, to this day, has seen an equal share of fans and detractors with several other products worldwide, up to and including this classic slam made by Pepsi's main competitor, Coke, via their sister brand, Sprite.
1: Hey, what's better than Juki? Juki jump! Juki! Juki jump! I got this Juki coking gun! I drink 93,000 cans, and I got this Juki sock! <gasps> I got this Juki helmet! Yay! I got the Juki seat captain! Arr. What's this? what's this, I got a Juki hernia belt, just like my favorite basketball player. I got the Juki chainsaw. <laughs> Thanks, Juki.
0: There's one reason to drink something, and it isn't to get junk. And as far as the lawsuit goes, thankfully, after experiencing backlashes involving hot button pop singers and misleading advertising over the years, Pepsi would never experience anything problematic with their commercials. Never, ever. Again, ever.
1: No. OK, well, bye Chloe, I got to go. I'm on the set of my Pepsi commercial. Um, I stopped the police from shooting black people by handing them a Pepsi. I know, it's cute, right? Uh-oh.
0: Oh! for fuck's sake, can you give me at least until 2022 to take that one on, please? Thanks. Continuing with the Pepsi saga, Our next misstep with the soda maker is probably one of the biggest missteps that they've made in recent years, as Pepsi tried to align themselves with social justice causes. Gird your loins, ladies and gentlemen because it's time to discuss the Pepsi Live For Now campaign of 2017. Original air date, September 30th, 2022. Well, well, well look who's come bubbling back. The the brand new day. We've covered a couple of Pepsi's biggest marketing missteps in the past. From aligning itself with Madonna as she launched her, as of 1990, most controversial song, to the time when some poor fool tried to sue them because they couldn't give him a Harrier jet, to a number of points in between that we have yet to get to. But since this is our first mini-show of the season, you know we have to start things off with a bang. If you've been paying attention to the news during the past decade, something you can't help but notice is the undeniable fact that if a certain kind of wrongdoing is done for all the world to see, Chances are, all the world is going to clap back at bad action. And while we do applaud the work of protesters around the world for all the causes they raise awareness for, something we can all be in universal agreement on is that protests, no matter if the cause is good, bad, far-sighted, or short-sighted, should never be commercialized. A lesson that Pepsi should have learned in the year 2017. While most products reach out to advertising agencies to help convey the product's message, Pepsi is a large enough company that it can take care of that stuff in-house, which they did under a division known as the Pepsi Creators League. According to an article from The Hollywood Reporter, the intention was for this particular ad that they made to, quote, take a more progressive approach to truly reflect today's generation and what living for now looks like, end quote. Naturally, Pepsi had to throw the word generation in there somewhere because they've been using that as part of their marketing since the dawn of time.
1: You're in the Pepsi generation. It's the Pepsi generation. On across the nation. It's the Pepsi generation. Come on, come on, enjoy the Pepsi generation.
0: As for what the current generation was living like these days, I guess it depends on which generation you're trying to cater to. Not Generations X, Y, or the Millennials, because they were starting to reach the point in their lives where soda may not be as good for them as it used to be. So of course, they had to aim younger. And to the far end of the alphabet, Generation Z, or the Zennials, were going to be the target demographic here. After all, the children are our future and what they do with that future is entirely up to them. Of course, said future is going to continue to be murky so long as there are still things in the world worth fighting for. So with that, Pepsi's Creative League came up with an idea where the hope would be for people to come together at the most tense of times. The commercial, which would debut as a largely dialogue-free short film as of April 2017, would help reflect that message being delivered as such. Set to the tune of a pop song called Lions by Skip Marley, and yes, if you're wondering, he is Bob's grandson, we start with a can of Pepsi being snapped open as we slam cut to shots of various examples of diversity, including, in no particular order, an Asian cello player celloing his heart out on the roof of a building. A Middle Eastern woman, hijab and all, working on her freelance photography job. Two girls of an undefined relationship having lunch. African Americans break dancing. People of all creeds and codes protesting for something while holding signs that say love and join the conversation. And to top it all off, who better to represent the Xennials than an onlooking Kendall Jenner, who, in the middle of a photo shoot, decides to join in with everybody on whatever it is they're complaining about. All this leads to the climax of the short film slash commercial when, in a sea of blue, the protesters face off against a sea of a different kind of blue as Kendall Jenner casually grabs a can of Pepsi, offers it to an officer, and sure enough, whatever it was that these people were protesting was never a problem again. And all because somebody who was on the fringe of the fringe of the fringe of being famous gave somebody decked head to toe in riot gear something to drink. Cap off the film with celebrating in the streets and the next in a long line of memorable taglines for Pepsi. Pepsi, live bolder, live louder, live for now. The reaction to the spot, as I'm sure you could have guessed, was nothing if not subtle. Next tonight, the ad trying to sell soda using themes of policing and race. Tonight, that ad has now been pulled after unleashing outrage across this country, including Martin Luther King Jr.'s own daughter. If you've ever been to one of these protests, this made it look like a block party, like it was everyone having a good time. And if you've ever been or witnessed any of these protests, I don't care what it's for, if it's Black Lives Matter or it's people fighting for abortion
1: rights or people opposing abortion rights. Whatever it is, these are people who are deeply committed to values and are worried. They're worried for their future, for their kids' future, for their grandkids' future. It's not a party.
0: And this minimized their struggle and their fight.
1: This commercial ends with a message even more profound than join the conversation. Live for now. I think I'm reading that correctly. Is that that how you split for now? For now. now. Live for now. Live for now, especially if you're Pepsi's marketing department. Because I don't think you guys are going to be there for long.
0: And not to be outdone, my favorite reaction to this ad was how Saturday Night Live handled it slash commented on what everybody in the known universe was thinking at that moment.
1: Okay, well, by Chloe, I got to go. I'm on the set of my Pepsi commercial. Um, I stopped the police from shooting black people by handing them a Pepsi. I know, it's cute, right? Oh. Uh-
0: Runner-up for best parody goes to this recent episode of The Boys on Prime Video, which doubles down on the tone deafness of the original. Ad. Where are these people going? There's a protest on the street. I think I'm going to check it out.
1: Hey, Adrian, where are you going? Almost ready to shoot. This is important. Now listen to each other.
0: A-Train's turbo rush energy drink. And from there, I'd like to continue to quote the Hollywood Reporter article we referenced earlier, if I may. Quote, The backlash to the ad was swift and brutal. And Pepsi, ostensibly, is smarting from the mockery and damage to its reputation before it begins to count the cost of pulling an expensively assembled global campaign after 24 hours. However, there is a silver lining of sorts. Some of the advertising industry think that the ad was deliberately created by Pepsi, the company playing some form of Machiavellian four-dimensional chess. A creative at a well-known British agency who wished to remain anonymous told The Hollywood Reporter that either the entire creative and marketing team at Pepsi didn't consider, even for one moment, that having a vacuous pseudo-famous white rich celebrity pretend to be in a protest march was a bad idea, or they figured the PR reach of it would be worth with far more than any negative throwback. Since the backlash broke, there have been thousands upon thousands of memes created and shared by millions all over the world, the kind of publicity and visibility that money can't buy. There's no such thing as bad publicity about this, said an advertising executive. I'm sure it won't actually do Pepsi huge harm in the long run. They're suddenly relevant. But that Pepsi would co-opt a complicated issue shows a stunning lack of foresight, end quote. So, where does Pepsi's Live For Now campaign fizzle out in tele Let's pop the top and let the contents go flat in our nine circles. Limbo, lust, gluttony, greed, wrath, heresy, violence, treachery. To say that people reacted wrathfully towards the overall tone deafness of the ad is a bit of an understatement more so considering just how off the mark Pepsi was and trying to align itself with a message of some kind. Though we're never 100% clear on what that message was supposed to be. Sure, there were the Black Lives Matter protests happening around this time, but there were also ongoing protests involving women's rights, immigration, the treatment of other ethnicities, the environment, the economy, and given enough time, I'm pretty sure there would have been protests about cleaning up after your dog too. It's like that scene from The Boys says. This is important. But they not only don't stick the landing, they crashed on takeoff. Thing is, these protests that Pepsi is apparently paying homage to here are the byproducts of various events that are often spawned due to acts of questionable injustices, brutalities, and violence that, once exposed to the world, people couldn't sit idly by and ignore. (laughs) To say nothing of the fact that the soda people tried to leech themselves onto something that did not, could not, and should not be stylized, glamorized, or even monetized, resulting in a kind of greed for them that I didn't even know could exist all for the sake of their never-ending appeal to the hip and young crowd. And while we're on the subject of Zennials, much as it actually pains me to defend a member of the Kardashian family, but it's not Kendall Jenner's fault that the commercial turned out the way it is. I kind of feel obligated to say this because some of the hate the commercial got was simply because of her participation in the ad. Pepsi paid her to be in the commercial, and that's it. Granted, the interaction between her and handing the riot cop a can of soda the end might have been the x factor of where the hate for the ad comes from but she didn't write the script pepsi's creative brain trust did tar and feather them before you go targeting the innocent bystanders that being said Pepsi using her as a flag bearer for a movement with no clear direction may have been the most short-sighted part of the whole thing. Why not just hire an unknown actor to do the can-to-cop delivery? The message would still be tone-deaf, but the volume of the deafness would be lowered by several octaves. And all for the sake of increasing consumers' gluttonous desires to drink carbonated sugar water. (laughs) All in all, despite the bad press that Pepsi got for the ad, it did do one thing right. It helped put Coca-Cola's sales into the lead once again. Oh, and by the way, that also tags the commercial for fraud. Because way back in 1971, that other soda maker tried to unite people in a positive way. And at least that message was less crass than what took place 50 years later. I'd
1: like to buy the world of Coke and keep
0: then again, if policemen in Riot Gear showed up during that commercial, maybe Pepsi might have had the upper hand for a few years in sales. I'd
1: like to buy the, world coke. Keep it
0: the Pepsi Live For Now ad earns five out of nine circles of telehelp. And it's spots like these that make me pine more for the days when all you had to do to advertise something was just show a product, tout its features, show the product being used, and then wrap it up in a nice 30 second package. For our final entry, for now, in the Pepsi saga, something that's a lot more lighthearted in comparison that also fizzled out in Pepsi's face. This time around, What could possibly go wrong when Pepsi teams up with one of the biggest monoliths in technology to offer the youth of America relatively free music? What do we mean by relatively free? Let's pop the top to April 14th, 2023. 20 years since the moment when Pepsi met iTunes. It's time once again to take a look at a marketing misfire from the choice of practically every generation.
1: Join the Pepsi people! Feelin' free, feeling
0: free! And unlike the other ones that we've covered here so far, this fizz out from Pepsi is really less about controversy and more about a botched execution of things. But before we pop the top, a little background
1: legal troubles over copyright infringements aren't slowing down Napster the song swapping company is now in the top 50 list of most visited sites on the web according to media metrics and spin-offs are on the way
0: at the turn of the century with technology continuously evolving by the minute so were consumers ability to well, consume things. In this case, music became much easier to consume thanks to the creation of that infamous music sharing system known as Napster. Short version, Napster's initial intention was for people all over the world to share their music collection with other people in an effort to increase a global sense of community and common interests. That Metallica song you like? Maybe somebody in Finland likes it too. Trying to save up your allowance to buy the new Destiny's Child CD? No need with Napster since you could download the album digitally and for free. And therein lies one of the biggest problems the program had. Sure, people would be able to download music free of charge with seemingly no strings attached, save for one particular string the size of a bungee cord.
1: A federal court ruled Monday, Napster must stop allowing music fans to swap copyrighted material.
0: They got plenty of money from their tours and things like that. can't play an MP3 on your stereo in your car, but it's just get over it.
1: But fellow student, I think that pain wouldn't be such a bad idea because it would put that money back into the recording industry and keep our jobs going. Monday, the Recording Industry Association of America
0: won the latest round in its battle against Napster.
1: It's time for Napster to stand down
0: and build their business the old-fashioned way. In short, the people who made the music felt that they were on the losing end of the spectrum, making hard-earned money from their singing, songwriting, producing, and all the other elements that are needed to put out an album. Or, as a fellow employee of Hell once said...
1: Selling bootleg tapes is wrong. Musicians need that income to survive. Hey, Ben.
0: Bendigo- so- So naturally, in the spirit of David versus Goliath, the recording industry took Napster and its many other imitators to the cleaners in the early 2000s. Napster was pretty much declared a portal to piracy. So much so that by the ultimate reason of proxy, everyone who ever used Napster to download music was passively stealing it whether they realized it or not. Of course, no jury in the world could ever convict millions and millions of people at the same time unless it was a class action suit. If only there was a legal way to pay for music while still being able to enjoy the convenience of downloading it. But it would take a technological super genius to figure that out. So what are we gonna focus on next? Well, we're gonna change all this today with something we call iTunes. Leave it to Steve Jobs to find a way to make a bad thing good. As early as 2001, Jobs announced that Apple would be working on a way to essentially monetize music downloads, so that people could acquire the songs they want in a legally binding way for only 99 cents per track. That way, the recording industry would get their precious income, consumers would learn a thing or two about self-control, and it would ultimately be a win-win all around. Two years later, the Apple iTunes store was born, and initially, it was a hit out of the box. A hit to everybody, that is, except the audience who used Napster the most, teenagers. This was largely because, unless you lived in a super affluent family, teenagers didn't really have access to disposable income or their parents' credit cards. And you needed a valid credit card in order to purchase music online. So, how does one tap into such a demographic without disposable income? This is where Pepsi comes in.
1: Hi, I'm one of the kids who was prosecuted for downloading music free off of the internet. And I'm here to announce in front of everyone we're still going to download music
0: free off of the internet. In the poll, 2003, Apple announced a joint venture with the generational soda company that would lead up to one of its biggest giveaways that they would ever have. Starting on the day of that big football game that would take place just a few months later, specially marked bottles of Pepsi products would have a special 10-digit code underneath the cap. That code would then enable soda drinkers to download a song free of charge from iTunes without having to ask for their parents' permission to use their credit cards to do so. A total of 100 million of these codes would be printed. Factor in the sales tax, and that would add up to roughly 100 million dollars that both Pepsi and Apple would sink into the campaign. Incidentally, the big game where that Pepsi commercial you just heard aired just happened to be the one with the wardrobe malfunction seen around the world. (coughs) Episode 11. So it's pretty safe to say that those who saw that happen on live TV also saw that same commercial. And for the most part, the campaign seemed to have worked like gangbusters. People were buying Pepsi, people downloaded music, and people became familiarized with the convenience of Apple's iTunes service. And it seemed as though everything about this campaign was going well. So why would we, a show that's devoted to various things that go wrong in the world of TV and advertising, ever cover something like this. Herein lies the punchline. For starters, there were such things as supply chain issues all the way back in 2004. For whatever reason, certain cities were late in receiving the specially marked Pepsi bottles, some waiting an entire month after the commercial during the big game aired. But that's really more of a Murphy's Law kind of thing, something that few of us would foresee coming. What really crippled Pepsi was a critical design flaw. Anybody who has ever had a bottle of soda in their lifetime should know what a bottle of soda looks like. plastic tube with a plastic cap on top and a label wrapped around its outside. Been that way since the dawn of time, but also with glass. It is because the bottle is clear that avid soda drinkers exploited one tiny flaw that wound up costing Pepsi millions of dollars in potential sales, the simplest of all life hacks simply tilting the bottle on its side just enough so that potential customers can simply look underneath the cap to see if a code for free, paid-for music is even there. In other words, the very consumers who were being accused of stealing music with Napster was practically stealing the music all over again simply by tilting a bottle and jotting down a valid code for free music. Which... You know, Game got a recognized game for doing that, but it was also bad for whoever bought that bottle of soda in the first place. They try entering that code online, and all of a sudden, they can't use it. And you wonder why most consumer contests are done with QR codes these days. But even if a simple bottle hack turned out to be detrimental, what really did Pepsi in was just how few people turned out to actually download the songs overall. Out of the 100 million free codes that were made available to the public, Estimates of only 5 million of those codes were actually redeemed. The giveaway was quietly shelved later that spring of 2004. So, where does Pepsi's iTunes giveaway fizzle out in the fires of Telehel? The nine circles may have been around for many of Pepsi's generations, so what's one more gonna hurt? Limbo, lust, gluttony, greed, wrath, heresy, violence, treachery... This entire enterprise was triggered because of what had been taking place with Napster outsmarting the music industry, and said music industry laying the hammer down on those who stole music through file sharing. So this is very much a byproduct of wrath from the recording industry of America, or RIAA. As the old saying goes, the road to here is paved with good intentions, which is precisely what Apple and Pepsi had in mind. Apple wanted to increase awareness of its up-and-coming music service, Pepsi wanted to increase consumption for their sparkling sugar water, and the idea that both of them would think that 100 million people would want free music from something that was still a little primitive in use was devoutly to be wished, but would ultimately turn out to be a misfire in determining the customer's sense of gluttony a gluttony that Pepsi and Apple would hope to reap large profits for both of them after sinking $100 million into the program, which, in a sense, did turn out to be a boost more for the music industry than for the other two. So we've got some misdirected greed. When it was revealed just how easy it was to find these free music codes without actually buying the soda, it brought new meaning to the term no purchase necessary, causing a bit of consumer treachery against Apple and Pepsi. And it is also a combination of both bad luck and dumb luck that caused 95 million of those free music codes to go unsold and probably wind up in limbo. Let's also not forget the fact that if you were one of those unfortunate customers who bought a bottle of Pepsi only to find out that your free music code had already been used, you pretty much got gypped. So we do have to sprinkle this for fraud too. The irony of Pepsi using a cover of the song I Fought the Law and The Law One for their commercials promoting the campaign couldn't be more profound. The giveaway ultimately marked the second time that young people managed to steal music and get away with it. The Pepsi iTunes promotion earned six out of nine circles of tele What makes this subject particularly ironic is that all these years later, piracy has become as much sophisticated as it's become hypocritical. Napster would make a comeback of sorts as a paid music service that would ultimately flame out, as would a number of other competitors in the world of streaming music the next few decades. And then there are those that continue to use and abuse the internet to get whatever sound bites they need to put together things of an educational discussion. But that's another discussion altogether. fact that we here in the underworld do this on a fairly regular basis, but thanks to the Fair Use Clause of the Copyright Act of 1976, we're pretty much able to get away with it and... Now what?
1: Police! We have a search warrant! Oh, fuck! Not again! Come on! This is educational! Jeez!
0: And so concludes the Pepsi saga at least for now. As we said at the beginning, Pepsi has been around for 125 years now, and in spite of some of the marketing misfires they made, the product had to have lasted this long for some reason. Whether it be how good the soda tastes or the many other good marketable ways to get you to buy a can of it, Pepsi has never not been there to brighten one's day from one generation to the next even if it means picking apart the times when their advertising department should have worked for Mr. Pid instead. That'll do it for this one. The next time you'll hear from us is in a few weeks where, in lieu of our annual recap show, we'll discuss the results of our listener survey and also give a slight tease as to what we're going to be doing this season. Until then... If it's not in Telehell, it's not worth a damn. Telehell was written, produced, edited, and narrated by me, Justin Hart. A lot has changed in the world of social media since we last spoke, particularly the place where you tweet is no longer tweetable, but we're still there, just under the letter X. We're also still on Facebook, and yes, we're also even on Blue Sky now, though I hear you kind of need an invitation code to get in. I'm working on that, but try to follow us on Blue Sky anyway. That's X, Facebook, and Blue Sky, all three of them, at TeleHell Podcast. But aside from socializing, do not forget to like, comment, rate, subscribe, wherever you hear this show. That's the only way you can get people to know that we exist. See you later.